0: He's been around forever. He writes great poems. He's slick. He's smart. He's funny. Ladies and gentlemen, honored to have him, Mr. Tim Verhagen. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. I have always wanted to feature at Mary's. Uh, like, like I said, I've been around here for about 20 years, and um, there is going to be some profanity. Yes! yes. yes. All right.
1: Oh, um, my frozen
0: ears. Oh, well, I wasn't sure. There's that one I usually read. Um, I don't know if you people, you've, have you all heard that one too much? Just let me know. No! No, oh. no that's oh. right over here. Okay, good. Hear that one. Okay. <laughs> I am uh, going to start this. I'm going to start this with my mom and ended with my mom. Um <laughs> my mom died around uh, my mom died on Veterans Day about 6 years ago. And uh, I was kind of like more of a confidant for her and uh then like a kid really. So and I was like one of the only people she liked and
1: uh <laughs> really she was an awful
0: person, all shit. I mean, she was great with <laughs> me. She was just an awful. person. Anyway, so I've always been a little bit uh obsessed with death, whatever, so this is just a quick first poem. Things mom used to say when I was seven. I wish I was dead. I wish your father was dead. I wish your aunt Dorothy was dead. I feel like I'm going to collapse. I'm going to die soon. I want to kill myself. No, you can't visit your whore, cunt, grandmother. I know this woman. Nan Hamilton is a nice little old lady now, but she used to be in the biggest whore in East Hampton. I can't imagine your Aunt Dorothy having sex with Uncle Charlie. He's a walking corpse. Your grandfather is dying. You seem to forget your brother is dying. Your grandmother is probably going to die. I wish that dumb cunt was dead. I'm glad she's dead. She was a hoity-toity fucking cunt.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> very very warm. Warm. Moving, uh, moving right along. Sorry about that. Um, uh, This is more serious, Um, I had a brother for a little while, Um, he uh, was four years older Um, and he kind of taught me how to fight back, Um, uh, my mother shipped him off to my grandmother when I was nine so I didn't get to see him much after that and he died when I was 19 so, but um, anyway I do learn from him and he's called The Middle Child and it's about him and my mother. Stop slamming his head against the wall. Look what you've done. That's your son. His eyes still say no, always no. He will not sit still so you can scrub your floors. He will not be quiet because you want silence. He will not be convenient for your convenience. He will not stay home because you don't want to worry. He will not stay clean because you don't want to feel dirty. He will not obey just to obey. He will not alter his reality. Punch him. He'll say that didn't hurt. Take it away. He'll say, I didn't want it. Hate him. He'll say, I hate you too. His eyes are knowing, always knowing. He will not go to bed so you can be alone. He will not stop playing because you don't like the noise. He will not feel like a bother because you can't be bothered. He will not love who you love, hate who you hate. His heart will not be owned. Slap him. He'll laugh in your face. Pull out a steak knife. He'll say, go ahead. Hate him. He'll say, you hate everyone. He sees you. He sees right through you. (laughs) I know that's a really big downer, but anyway. um, uh, I still have all my letters from high school and college. Um, I have a great big box and I've saved them all. And a little while ago when I was uh, making Facebook reunions, I was like reading these letters and I was like, holy shit, you know? (laughs) Um, I felt like I needed a Xanax after I read some of these letters, so this is called Letters. You've opened that box, letters and cards, yellowed, faded ink, you were loved, yet there they are, you couldn't love them back, you couldn't love them the way they needed to be loved, their love frightened you, their love suffocated you, you couldn't love a woman that way, you weren't ready to love a man that way. You love someone else more. Could you have hurt so many people? Were they only hurt the moment they moved their pen? You loved them, then you stopped loving them. You stopped loving them and then you did something so they wouldn't love you. Then you were off the hook. You collect people. Pretty and different and new and interesting and ugly. Anyone with an edge. Then, then you thought they failed you. They thought you failed them. You wore them out. They wore you out. Someone stepped back. Just one step. Then like dominoes, didn't the emotions fly? And then over time, everything is forgotten. Until you found that letter, you would forgotten everything. These letters of praise, beseechings, a longing. You wish you had the letters that you sent. Maybe you praised. Maybe you longed. Maybe you too yelled your pain. Every argument on decaying paper wins you over to their side. You've seen their point too late. You cringe. Did they expect too much from you? Did you expect too much from them? lose by their version. You zigzag to avoid their missiles. Could it have been so one-sided? You wish you could remember. We were young. Then the faces change, the accusations change, the accusations more grown up. You're still friends, you found other ways to love each other. Do other people save their letters? Do they save the indictments? Is the only difference between your experience and their experience the fact you still have the evidence? When I was going to therapy for a while, um, we were talking about how certain personalities attract other personalities. Like across the crowded room, you may not even know them, and all of a sudden, you're just like attracted to that person. So that's uh, what this poem's about. It's called "Across the Crowded uh, Ballroom." Honesty refills her glass. Chats, whispers, giggles. Humility leans close. Their faces are touching. Everybody hovers, they stand in the middle. Shoulder to shoulder, glasses clink, jewelry clanks. Awareness and denial co host this lavish ball. Laughter and joy do the Venetian waltz. Ridicule is dancing topless. She kicks the kitschy centerpiece off the head table. Self-inflicted stands against the wall, inert, mute, dismal loud yellow print her dress is wrinkled holier than thou sits alone two tables down drunk his eyes smoggy vacant thin skin and opinionated screw on the open balcony selfish lewd and loud they ejaculate too early always in crisis spots self-inflicted across the crowded Ballroom. They lock eyes. They have a moment. He bumps past calm. He walks by self-confident. He slithers past accountable. Always in crisis, moves closer. Self-inflicted looks better. Blame and rationalize. Look on, holding clammy hands. Their faces glowing. There is someone for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> thank you know, so glad everybody came um uh, uh before the internet um <laughs> gay guys and every guys i guess had to like find each other you know instead of the internet and um so you know gay guys we cruised each other a lot and looked for each other in places and sometimes you'd follow somebody half the day or they would follow you half the day, and it was <laughs> and you'd have sex <laughs> and you'd have sex like you know yeah so So this is called It's Down to You. It's down to you in this long hallway, pretty face to pretty face. You both know he's better looking. His eyes say, come on, you know the rules. Still nobody makes a move. It's them and you loitering on this street corner. You don't tell anybody your name. You don't tell anybody where you live, your likes, dislikes, what you do. All you gotta do is be, and they'll appear and disappear. Everything comes down to you. You call his bluff, you tremble before him. You talk to yourself, but he'd read your lips. He's the fox, you're the fawn. You walk away, he follows you through three buildings, a parking garage, two hallways. You turn around to make sure he knows you still want him, to make sure he still wants you. His eyes to your eyes. Come on, man, what are you gonna do? Too scared, too spoiled to approach him. It's always like this. Them versus you, danger, exhilaration, offering each other up, rich and poor, black and white, the innocent and the felon. You're on the move again. Your gait, not too fast, not too slow. Your back is to him, the dance still on. You hold each other five yards apart. You wait, you'll wait all day to be caught. If only he'd make the move. He won't, you won't. You wait each other out. You both know you're wearing him down. You both know he'll bow down to you the next time you turn around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was in Provincetown uh, a couple years ago staying at Anchor Inn and there was this common room and this one table full of gay guys were like, oh we had such a good time last night and it was just <laughs> really funny. Then there were a table full of lesbians and they were like really serious and humorless and talking about relationships and, and they were talking about like the New York Times and stuff. So I wrote, um, I wrote a poem called. Uh, Speaking of
1: humorless. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: Cynthia the stereotypical angry lesbian (coughs) She hurls a gay card like American heroes hurl hand grenades Her hand grenades have silencers She's acerbic, her aura toxic She's on the defensive, she's on the offensive The chip on her shoulder, bigger than Rhode Island She sees bigotry on her left, chauvinism on her right She's judge, prosecutor, jury, guilty as charged. She'll execute you daily with her lethal injections. She'll pound you over the head with equality, smash you in the face with fairness, strangle you with her rainbow flag, (laughs) jeer at you if you dare to question. She preaches tolerance, she teaches hypocrisy. We see her coming, a torch in her hand, Bio in her heart, together we can stand against her. I'm gay, even I want to bash her. (laughs) 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 Uh, um, This is called The Pool Boy. (laughs) And um, it's self-swanter. The Pool Boy. A stay-at-home mom touches herself. As she cracks open a closed shade, Hi John. <laughs> a, father <of>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: a father of two takes a long lunch, parks his car down the block, sneaks into his own house, stalks him from window to window, worries his shadow will be detected. The cool boy knows he's being watched. It's his job to be watched. He knows all the ways they like to watch him. A middle-aged man drools from a distance while he putzes around his garden. A 15-year-old boy works on the back porch. He acts like he's talking on his cell phone. A 72-year-old woman lies in her chase lounge. She lowers her novel to eye his ass. (laughs) A few clients are more blatant. They compliment him, they stare at him. He lets older women feel his muscles. He loves his cat and mouse patrons. He strips down naked, does his chores. His thrilled audience sneak long stares, making nose prints on their windows. (laughs) I like nature poems, yeah. and I go to a lot of places where they do a lot of nature poems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Right, I mean, Dan, you know, we've got a lot of places, a lot of nature poems. So, um, <laughs>
1: Love
0: so, bird talk. so uh, <laughs> anyway, recently I was at a, a beautiful park, and there were swans, and oh, are they so beautiful, aren't they so cute? And then there were geese, and aren't they so cute? Well, then they all of like, brawling, you know, so, <laughs> which was, like, you know, not so cute. So I wrote a song <laughs> called Swans. Six swans are dancing to Elton John, swinging their wigs in unison, left to right, right to left, in a four count, the first swing slow, the next three quick, the swan to the far right loses the rhythm, the swan to her left swats her hard and harsh yes this is fun but stay with the program do it again and i'll fuck you up she does it again she fucks her up five swans run four steps forward next back run four steps back Next forward, their wings a-flutter, the lyrics are angry, kickball change, kickball change. <laughs> then three hops just before the refrain, then it's swing your wings once again, swing your wings lady, swing those wings. Saturday night's all right for fighting, Saturday night's all right, all right, all right. The song's fire on, energy and lightning blind the room. Someone scratches the needle over the record and it's on again. It's on again. A flock of e- geese, eight, two more makes ten. Waddle in, Bohemian, all cool. Ten <laughs> geese start swinging their wings, left to right, right to left, in a four count. We know that dance. Let's dance. White birds can't dance. Let's show them how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Get the hell off my property, Canada, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> wings wide, five swans charge the room, honking, hissing, wings swinging, feet kicking. A swan has a goose and a net headlock. A goose has a swan and a full Nelson. Geese and swans belly bumping, bits slapping, neck racking. A swan pulls out a knife. She's pulled out a knife with swans. It's never a fair fight. One (laughs) swan, eight geese down, two geese flee, fly, stumble, fumble out of this hell... They had entered the room full of a plume. A goose sets a tablecloth on fire. Fuck off, swans! Burn! 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 Saturday night's all right for fire! Saturday night's all right! Four swans laugh in their wake. High five. It's Saturday night. What do you expect? Saturday nights always bring trouble. But we've been practicing all week. Come on, girlfriends. Let's swing. Let's swing our wings. Swing your wings, ladies. Swing those wings. Swing them. Swing them, baby. Swing those wings, ladies. The fire all around us. Elton singing. Speakers blaring. Feel that heat. Keep playing that song over and over again. <laughs> 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 okay. Thanks. Uh, this is I just have two more to read here. they're, they're both a little um this is uh, I took a class with Marion Roach. Has anybody ever heard of Marion Roach? Okay. And she's all prominent, you know. And she's married to the Times Union editor and she really thinks, you know, she's really cool, whatever. So So you pay her like three hundred and fifty dollars to take a course and you read your stuff to her and then she sits on her throne and tells you, you know, how what your stuff is. You got robbed. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. So anyway, so this is about that experience and about what a writer goes through when he hears something good or then he hears something bad, like gets a one at a slam or something. You know? Then really want to, like, kill yourself. Oh,
1: get over it. I know, I'm over it. Okay,
0: so this, okay, ever since Mary Roach said my writing is brilliant, my writing is going to shit. (laughs) She also said my writing is a marvel. She said, it's as good as it gets too. She said this in front of 20 other writers. She hadn't said that to anyone else the whole night. I should know, I listened and I went last. So she couldn't couldn't tell anybody else after me. So I was the only one. (laughs) It was the happiest day of my life. Then she asked me, what do you want to do with this essay? Meaning something big should be done with this essay. Teacher added, how about a collection of essays? Ooh, a collection. I'm good enough to do a collection. I looked around to make sure everyone was listening, you know, to make sure everybody knows I'm number one. The next class I read, Marion said, I thought maybe you were a flash in a pan, but you've proven you're a brilliant writer. She carried on about me for eight minutes in front of 15 people. It was the second happiest day of my life. Yeah. Unfortunately, some guy read about having post traumatic stress disorder and not knowing he had post traumatic stress disorder until so they saved a wounded ostrich on the side of the road and then he didn't have post traumatic stress disorder anymore. Everybody was so busy asking themselves, What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> my glory was forgotten.
1: <laughs> but I
0: didn't I didn't forget it. They wouldn't let me forget it. The next week in memoir class, a well dressed rumen, well-dressed woman. She's a sniff pathologist. The poor thing buried her mother, father, seven sisters, six brothers, five dogs, three French hens, and a partridge in a pear tree before she was 12. But now everything is all right. She said I was an amazing writer. With all that going on, I wasn't sure I should believe what she said about me. (laughs) The clincher was when a wonderful woman who used to be married to an illegitimate rat said I could be a bestseller. Used to be married to a bastard rat, was her exact words. Or was it a rat bastard? She said rat bastard, come to think of it. Maybe she wasn't referring to an illegitimate rat after all. Now I think she used to be married to a man. In any event, she said I could be a bestseller think of it. I could dance with Ellen DeGeneres on her show. I could blow Ryan Reynolds. Justin Timberlake could blow me. With all that praise and all that potential to have hot, deviant celebrity sex, I had no choice but to start my book.
1: I'd be cheating the world
0: if I didn't. But a little oh my gosh, But a little while into it, I thought, what if I do become a bestseller? Should I quit my job? Do I have to lose weight? Do I have to have more fashionable friends? I'd have to write another book after the bestseller. Suppose I don't feel like writing another book. Suppose the next one's not a bestseller. They'd say I'm a fluke. And fat and ugly. Yes. An, an out-of-control homosexual who wants to blow everybody. <laughs> I started getting my beige. Then Marion stopped saying I was brilliant. She stopped saying I was a marvel. She and my inferiors started criticizing my work. I started getting defensive. Marion asked me, what is this essay about? My knee-jerk thought was, shove it up your ass, that's what this essay's about. <laughs>
1: of
0: course I didn't say that. I got papers back with entire paragraphs, out. What? I love that paragraph. I'd never get to blow Ryan Reynolds at this rate. <laughs> I'd never even get on WAMC, and that's a radio station for 110-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> No offense. Everybody everybody was beating me up. My AIDS lover stories, horrendously depressing. My father's AA stories, too bitter. My gay escapades, too pornographic. I don't think there's such a thing as a 27-page bestseller. That was. My friend told me it's best to accept neither he or I will ever make a living with our writing. Speak for yourself, dickwad. (laughs) Actually, I'm starting to think I don't want to write a bestseller. The editor is changing your stuff. You have to meet deadlines. Worst of all, you have to beg everybody to buy your book. Harass everybody with hundreds of emails. So it's just as well my writing is shit. (laughs) This essay is too long, by the way. Too many fragments. And it's probably two essays, maybe three. And the tangents, tough shit. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I nice clapping. Okay, this is the last one. And I've read this a lot of times, and I still always love reading it. And um, and um, again, you know, my mom died on uh, Veterans Day. And then my father died three months to the day after my mother died. So they both died real sudden. And... Uh, no, I didn't see them much, but I talked to them all the time because I was like the only one they really liked. <laughs> so, and they both like to say fuck a lot, so...
1: <laughs>
0: this is called the Fuck Family. Yay. <laughs> my parents died a little while back. It still hits me every few days, I don't hear fuck much anymore. <laughs> Mom and Dad were always saying fuck. In general, my father used fuck as an adjective. <laughs> His construction worker friends were fucking guineas, fucking crowds, fucking polags. My friend Warren Klein's father was a fucking kite. Dad said he liked people, but he never sounded like he liked anybody. <laughs> <laughs> My mother usually used fuck as a noun, guinea fucks, New York City fucks, (laughs) rich fucks. Mrs. Gilchrist across the street was a dumb fuck. When us kids were bad, we were cock fucks. Sometimes she used the word as an adjective, any relative of my father was a fucking Verhagen. In in mom's defense, she didn't look like the fuck this, fuck that type. Their beautiful villa was spotless. She drove a Jaguar, she clanked in jewelry, Every day she was outfitted in a smart ensemble, blouse, skirt, earrings, necklace, bracelets, rings, everything. Bohemian to chic to regal and always pricey. She had her hair done every Thursday, she had Botox work every month. She looked nothing like those trash-choking barmaids my father was always trying to have sex with.
1: (laughs) Her appearance
0: boosted the fuck's impact. She hurled fucks like hand grenades. One time a man was eyeballing mom's tits and he spewed out a sandwich when she said, what the fuck are you looking at? (laughs) She used to yell out the door, get out of my yard, you dinny fucks. We lived in an Italian neighborhood. (laughs) We weren't Italian. Nobody liked us. They egged our house, stole our Christmas lights, kicked in our storm doors, threw garbage in our pool. My mother proclaimed herself blameless. She said they hate us because we don't kiss our fucking lawns and we don't have bronze saints all over the yard. My grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, nobody said fuck. We were Presbyterians. (laughs) they drank tea, dressed dowdy and talked about nothing none of my friends had parents who said fuck during my religious phase my born again um, Christian phase mom hated that phase I said mom please watch your language she said go fuck yourself (laughs) I said mom you'd have more friends if you didn't say fuck so much she said the only reason you have so many friends is you're a phony fuck Dad said I was a fucking phony. (laughs) Things came to a head my sophomore year of college. During Christmas break, my mother rushed me to the emergency room. The doctor asked me, do you have a lot of family stress at home? (laughs) Thinking of the 1,254 times I heard fuck that day, I said yes. I never came back to North Babylon. There's no better deterrent than hyperventilation, chest pains, and the feeling of imminent death. (laughs) I've fled to Albany. I've been here since 1980. I did call them regularly. One of the last times we spoke, Mom said, I got the results of my fucking nuclear stress test back, had to go to that doctor. I hate that fuck. I have two fucking parties. I have a fucking cruise next month. Now everything is all fucked up. Sorry to hear that, Mom. (laughs) Hey, can I talk to Dad? (coughs) The fat, lazy fuck is sleeping as usual. I don't want you to talk. I don't know why you want to talk to him, but I'll wake him up if you insist. I don't insist. I'll wake him anyway. Hi, Dad. What you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? it's an expression dad well you know what I'm doing listening to your fucking mother day in <laughs> tell me what a bad fucking husband I was even fucking worse as a fucking father I wish you would send me down a gun so I could blow my fucking brains out <laughs> well, after a long pause dad will you do me a favor before you die don't worry I'm planning on leaving you money <laughs> not that dad you know I don't need money I know, you never asked for money. I wish your fucking brothers didn't ask for money. (laughs) And I wish you'd call more. You don't call enough and your brothers call too fucking much. So what was the favor? If you blow your brains out, you gotta blow mom's brains out too. (laughs) (laughs) Now don't disrespect your mother. She's a great fucking lady. (laughs) She just told off the fucking Pollock down there at the Tenant Association. (laughs) Mom dropped dead that November. Dad soon followed her. Now in restaurants, I compare the fucks I hear to my mom and dad's fucks. No one said fuck quite
1: the way mom and dad did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah.